Let's, uh, let's pray before we jump into this today. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would open our hearts and our ears to understanding. In your name, amen. Amen. I'm trying to save my voice. I'm just getting over a bit of a cold, and uh, so bear with me if I get really gravelly at some point. Uh, you guys can make adjustments as you desire. Uh, so a few summers ago, no, it was last summer? No, because summer's over. Oh, that's depressing. It's the summer before, I guess. It was the summer before I, I decided I would, um, they say you don't forget how to ride a bike. And so I thought, I will put this to the test. I will ride my bike. And uh, my bike had remained in the garage for some time. And I thought, I will bring it out and I will bike ride again. And it will be the second coming of bike riding. And uh, so out I went on my bike. And I hadn't probably ridden it in, I don't know, 20 years or something. And I thought, I, I, this will be brilliant. I will get exercise. I will bike and bike. And uh, first, I rode the bike down along the river uh, to the whale tree. You know what the whale tree is? The whale tree is the big metal leafy tree thing. It always looks like whales to me. So down to the whale tree by the mill. And I went right through a big swarm of bugs. So that was fun. That dampened the mood of bike riding somewhat. Um, and then I had to come back through them because I didn't want to go on the road by whale tree. So I went back through them. I thought, this is sort of taking the, the joy is leaving. And, uh, and it was like, okay, so uh, all right. Then I, that finished. And then the next day I thought I will bike ride again. And uh, I was going along and there was this patch of, as is Dryden, there was this patch of gravel um, ready to be paved at some point, if sometime in the future, some year. And, uh, and so I thought, hey, whatever, I'm just going to ride over that, and that'll be fine. Um, but I tell you, it had been 20 years, and my bike riding was not great. And uh, I thought, I, I will trust in the faithfulness of my bike riding. But the gravel had other plans. And my kids can tell you this because I like to point it out every time we drive by. I go, that's where I fell off my bike. To the point that Sarah says, we know, we know. Every time we drive by, just, we already know. It was this, it w I wish I could say it was dramatic and glorious, but it really wasn't. It was sad and embarrassing. I just sort of went, and I was slowing down, and I just slowed down too much, and my bike said, oh, okay, you want to stop? Fine, and just kind of keeled over with me also. And it was just slow and sad. I couldn't even say, I couldn't even really, you know, was, I wish I could say it was better, but it wasn't. It's just, it's just kind of whatever. And I went down. I thought, well, okay, well, it's been 20 years. Okay. I got back on, and it wasn't until I kept going, and I felt something's wet in my shoe. My left shoe was wet, and I looked, and it was just blood. It was just blood going down. Some of you are like, yes, brilliant. And some of you are like, that's disturbing. And I went, and I'm like, oh, it's getting, I should go home. And uh, I remember just, I went, this is the sad state of my bike start. I went home, and Sarah was watching something on TV or reading something, and I just kind of went and stood where she could kind of, I just kind of went, hey, I'm back early. And uh, she tended to the meat of my leg. Um, I had tried to trust in my own steadfastness of bike riding. Steadfastness refers to something being unwavering or resolute, and I was not resolute in my bike riding. In fact, what was quite resolute and steadfast was gravity. Gravity was quite faithful 
the whole time. And the gravel was quite good at being gravel. Yay! <laughs> Down I went. And uh, I haven't biked since. I said I will do other things. I'm done. We can long for what is secure and steadfast and resolute in our lives. But sometimes when we put our faith in something that we think is steadfast but isn't, it, it brings about some disastrous results, doesn't it? We're made for some sort of sense of security, and yet if you put your, your security in something that's not really secure and not really reliable, you'll become unsteady, and you will likely fall off your bike to various degrees of disaster. And the thing is, we're made for, we're made for this sense of security. We're made for this sense of, of, of finding something steadfast to believe in, right? We're made for that. We want things to feel comfortable and safe and held and protected in our lives. And that's a good thing. Like, that's, a, that's how we're made. The issue is when we put our trust in those things and, and our trust is, is not in the thing that it should be, things go sideways. Again, I, I would put my trust much more in gravity than in Nicholas's bike riding. And so this passage calls us to think a little bit about, well, who, who or what do we rely on? And do we rely on our own strength to do a thing that we think needs to be done, much like I did? Do we rely on the security of our finances to kind of find our bearing in life? Or do we rely on our health, which is not always a given? And many of us know that this morning. Or do we rely on something just sort of remaining as it's always been, and that's just become kind of part of our lives or part of our tradition? And when those things get pulled out from under us, we get worried. Or will we rely on God? Because at the end of the day, more than any of our abilities to do anything, bike riding and otherwise, God's really the only steadfast one in the universe that we can rely on. And that's how verse 6 starts. Verse 6 tells us really clearly, of all the things in life that are fleeting, and of all of the, the abilities that maybe you once had and tried again to have, or the abilities you hoped you had, but never did, of all the things that we can really trust, God's character is the one thing we can trust. And that's how verse 6 starts. For I, the Lord, do not change. I don't change, he says. And the way to summarize that is to think of it as God's steadfastness. More reliable than the gravel, more reliable than my pedaling. More reliable even than gravity is God's steadfastness. And that's the first thing to note this morning. He's steadfast. And we actually sang several times in the songs that we sang this morning, referred to God's faithfulness, his steadfastness. He won't change. He's faithful. He's the firm foundation. He's reliable. And just because God's steadfast doesn't mean his actions don't change. God does act differently in response to different situations, right? But it does mean that his character doesn't change. 
Who he is doesn't change. He may act in different ways, but who he is is a solid foundation for our faith and our hope. He is secure and we can trust in him. And so in this passage right here, for Israel in Malachi, God points to his faithful character as a reminder of the promise that he's made to the people. These people have turned away from God's, God's ways, away from the covenant that they were to keep. And God has every right to take them out. And yet he doesn't. He won't. And he won't do that because he's promised he would keep them and he would work with them and he would love them even when they are unfaithful to him. And God was steadfast to their ancestors and he'll be steadfast to them as well. Here again, verse 6 and 7. For I, the Lord, do not change. That's that steadfastness. And because of that, Right? Therefore, because of his steadfastness, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Not because of your merit, not because you are doing a great job, O children of Jacob. No, no, you're not consumed, not on the basis of your performance. You're not consumed because I'm steadfast, says the Lord. I'm faithful to you, not because of your faithfulness to me. And he calls them children of Jacob to kind of alert them again in their minds and their imaginations of who they are and who they belong to, of whose they are, that they're part of this long line of a family of, of people through whom God has worked and, and through whom God has shown his faithfulness. You're children of that same story, of that same line, and you're not consumed. From the days of your fathers, verse 7, you've turned away aside from my statutes and have not kept them. They are so unsteadfast, so unreliable. But I, the Lord, do not change, God says. So the first point today is that God is steadfast. The second point is that the people are not. And we've heard this theme over and over again as we've studied Malachi. But here God says something specific about their unfaithfulness or their unsteadfastness. Look again at verses 7 and 8. God says, return to me and I'll return to you. But they say, or you say, well, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Their idea, that what they're saying is, why would we need to return? Like, you're God, how could we rob you? Right? You're so good and you're so amazing. And How could anything we do affect you? Or why would you care about us? And then God says, yet you are robbing me, verse 8. You say, how have we robbed you? And then at the end of verse 8, God says, in your tithes and your contributions. Now that sounds like a money issue, right? They haven't brought in what they're owed to the temple as part of the agreement in the covenant. Their first fruits are to go to the temple. But at its core, this is actually an idolatry issue. Because Israel is robbing God by withholding the contributions of food and money. Those portions are supposed to go into the storehouse. And by withholding that, it's, it's revealing something about their hearts. That they've turned away from him in their actions regarding their public and their private lives. They've said, I, this doesn't matter to us. And it's showing up in their actions, specifically in this economic area of their lives. And that wealth, the first fruits of the crops... Uh, is the fruit of the land, and who owns the land? Well, at the end of the day, it's God's anyway. And so even though God asks for a portion of it, it's all his. 
but he only asks for a, a, a portion of it. And yet they're withholding even the portion that he's asked of them, which is already rightfully his anyway. And by withholding it, it actually affected some things. It affected the priest's ability to do their jobs well, but also from a portion of the storehouse, often they would try to care for the poor. And so by withholding the tithes and contributions, it's actually keeping Israel from caring well for those who are in need in their community. So it's not just a money issue, it's a heart issue. It's an issue of whether they'll put God first in their lives or not. And that's why God brings it up. It's not because God cares particularly about the money, but because he cares about what's going on in their hearts. And often what we do with our wallets reveals what's going on in our hearts. So what does God call them to do? Very easily, the third point is that he calls them to return to him. Return to me, he says. God is steadfast in his love for them. They are not steadfast in their love for God. But God calls them back to himself. Look again at verse 7. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. They need to get back to him. They need to get back to him. They need to bring this full tithe, and, and the rest of the passage describes that. But, but underneath that is a call for them to come back wholeheartedly in repentance and in faith and in love back to this relationship with God. And God says, see that I won't bless you as you do this. You Put me to the test, says God. If you do this, I will show my faithfulness to you. In fact, I'm going to open the windows of heaven, verse, uh, verse 10, and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I'll rebuke the devourer. There's this sense in which the crops aren't doing well, and that is likely why they're withholding some of the tithe, right? And God says, actually, if you give, I'll make sure that the crops actually go well for you. But you need to be willing to trust me first in that. It's not like I'm just going to give to God when it's okay in my life. It's like, no, no, I'm going to give because that's the right thing to do. Because I trust not in the goodness of my crop, but in the goodness of his faithful character. And what's actually steadfast. And God says, I'll respond to that. See that I don't bring blessing and life. And he reaffirms that in verses 10 to 12. So what's that mean for us? It's not a complicated message. God's steadfast to them, and God is still steadfast today. He's still steadfast today, and he loves you. And he has compassion towards you. And just as he calls uh, the people in Malachi to return to him, he calls us in every time to come back to him. Like a father welcoming us home, or like a spouse welcoming us back. Even if we've been unfaithful, he welcomes us back. And this text exposes a, a truth about ourselves is that we are often unfaithful. We are often like these people, aren't we? We often turn towards our own devices. We often use what we have for whatever we desire. We often put our trust in ourselves and fall off a bike instead of trusting in God's steadfastness. God's not a key part of their lives. You can tell in this, in this text. They just don't really care. And yet God calls them to return to him. And God calls us to return to him. So recently I was going to get a picture of it, but it's a fairly famous painting. Um, I was going to have it so we could actually look at it. But in our Alpha series on, on Sunday nights, well, we've been going through. It's been really, really good in our small groups. 
And last week, uh, we talked about the famous painting, The Light of the World by William Holman Hunt. And it's, it's a common picture, and you've probably seen adaptations of it, but it's Jesus at a door in a garden, and he's knocking on the door. And it's adapted from uh, the passage in Revelation, about, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and, and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him, right? Of Jesus standing and knocking. And it's in a garden, and it's dimly lit. It's called the light of the world because Jesus has a lantern, and it's kind of dark in the garden, and the, the door is kind of overrun with vines and branches and stuff. And in that painting uh, is depicted this idea of Jesus is knocking on the door of our hearts and that he's, he's waiting for us to invite him in. And uh, in the same way here, God is calling his people to return to him, and I will return to you. Uh, in the similar idea of opening the door and letting relationship with God flow again. And in our Alpha series, and this is also brought up, whenever you, if you research the, the painting, this point is often made, um, that someone said to the painter, you forgot to paint a handle on the door. And if you look on the painting, there's no outside handle. And uh, the artist replied, no, that's really intentional uh, because Jesus won't force his way in. The, the, the handle's on the inside uh, because you need to make the decision to open the door and let Jesus in. Jesus will knock, but Jesus won't barge in. And uh, so the door has no handle on the outside. And in the same way, neither does Yahweh in this passage force Israel uh, to love him, but he makes that invitation, right? And so too does Jesus who is the true and steadfast one, that he stands at the door knocking, saying, return to me, and I'll return to you. And he does that uh, for each of us. Only we, each and every one of us, can choose to let him in. Every one of us has that choice to return to the Lord and to open the door of our hearts to him. And notice, uh, and this is worth pointing out, in, of course, even in Revelation, in that passage that the painting's based on, uh, that passage is written to the church. It's not written to unbelievers. It's written to people who know Jesus. Where he says, I stand at the door and knock. And we often will use that passage. I mean, it's not untrue to, to use with someone who doesn't know Jesus to say Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. Will you invite him in? I think that's very true. But biblically, in, in Revelation, and also here in Malachi, it, it's written to people who know God. And so the implications of that are quite huge. It means in some sense that even if you know Jesus, you can grow distant from him. And that even if you know Jesus, you can, you can close off your heart in some sense. And, uh, and he waits there, willing, uh, inviting you to open that door again. And that's what Yahweh's doing here with Malachi in this passage. He doesn't barge in on them, but he's waiting at the door and inviting them to return. And so the final point I want to make is that God wants to draw near to us. And perhaps the, the most important question for us is, well, will we open that door to him? And what happens when we open that door? What would that look like for us as a community? And uh, I think perhaps the first thing we could say is it means trusting in God's steadfastness and not in our own strength not in our own feeble bike riding, uh, but in the goodness of God. And that might mean recognizing where have I been putting my faith uh, in other things? What other things have I felt were steadfast that I want to put my faith in that I'm not putting my faith in? Is that in perhaps other places that I look for security? 
in my own finances or lack thereof or my own traditions or certain people or, or certain things in the church or whatever it might be when really the only steadfast one is God himself. None of those other things. And I think if we invite Jesus in again, that he, he calls us to, to do a work in our own hearts. There's an invitation to be quick to repent and quick to forgive. And so in short, I think if we open the door of our hearts, if we return to God as he wants to return to us, we become people who are more trusting, more, more confident in his goodness, not in our own strength, in his steadfastness like building our lives on the rock of his faithfulness rather than our own unreliable way of living. And we're called to become people who will return, who will forgive, and who will trust in his steadfastness uh, because he alone is worthy. So God is steadfast. I, the Lord, do not change, says God in verse 6. But we are often not. And yet he says, return to me. Open that door. Open that door and bring whatever we've been holding and lay that at his feet and give him our whole selves. And I want to, as we close today, I was thinking about how to end this passage and, or this sermon. I'm not entirely sure, but I think it would be appropriate for us to, to pray together. And so I'm going to do that. And uh, I'd like to take maybe just a few minutes uh, to pray together. So why don't you stand with me and... Uh, if you're feeling this morning, I'm going to give us an invitation to respond to Jesus who does stand at the door and knock, to God who is the steadfast one. And uh, maybe there's areas in your life where you're feeling weak or broken or that you fell off your bike and need to come home and get bandaged up a bit. Um, maybe you feel you've been unsettled and longing to rely and trust in someone again. And God says, I'm right here. I'm the steadfast one. And so I'm going to pray, but if you feel you would like to respond in some way and you want to come to the front and kneel or you want someone to come and pray with you, I invite you to do that. And uh, let's, let's pray together. Jesus, this morning we thank you that you are so faithful and good to us that you love us and that you hold us. Lord, so often in our lives, we are unsteady. And often in our lives and the world around us, things feel very unsteady. But Lord, you are the steadfast one. You're the firm foundation. And you call us to yourself. You say, return to me, and I'll return to you. Open the door of your heart that I may come in and eat with you. And so this morning, Lord, uh, some of us have walked with you for years. Maybe there's some here who have never chosen you as our Savior. But we pray this morning, Lord, that you would work in our hearts. We say we want to open that door this morning, Lord. We want to put you as the steadfast one in our lives. We look to you alone, Jesus. And we pray that you would come, and as we open that door, as we return to you, that you would come and set things right in our hearts.
Lord, there's areas there that need cleaning up. There's stuff there that we've left untouched for years. There's stuff there that we're embarrassed of. There's stuff there that's broken and dirty and gross. But Jesus, we invite you to come and clean up. Because, Lord, you alone are the steadfast one. You alone are holy. And you alone are good. And so this morning, Jesus, we pray that uh, you would come and set things right. And give you permission, Lord, to come and do that work in us. And Lord, we pray that as we would uh, open our hearts to you again, that you would make us tender towards you and, and towards each other, Lord. We pray that in the places where, where we've been let down by others, where there's been brokenness in relationships, Lord, that you would bring restoration. Lord, where we've dealt with issues of unforgiveness and bitterness and, and hurt from the past, Lord, we give that to you. We don't want that to shape our hearts, Lord. We don't want that to be the, 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 main, the main focus of our identities, Father. We want you to come and clean that area up. And Lord, give us Give us a tenderness to love those around us, even when it's really hard to love them. And Jesus, we pray that just as for Israel here in Malachi, there was a call for them to respond in all of life because of who you were. Lord, we pray that just as uh, you are faithful today, you would call us not just to make a change inside, but Lord, would this impact our actions and how we live? outwardly too, in the places where we work and study, in our marriages and family lives. Lord, we pray that you would help us to follow you and to put our hope and our trust in you. And if there's anyone here today, Lord, that uh, has a need, an unspoken need, Lord, we lift up uh, all the things that are happening in our community those that are unwell, those that are recovering, questions about work and future and all sorts of things going on, worries about our kids, worries about those who are growing older in our lives. Jesus, we pray that you would lead and guide us, that you would teach us, give us wisdom, Lord. Mostly we pray you would grant us your peace and your joy, that we would live for you the glory of your name. And with the words you taught us, we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, before you go, I'd love to send you off with the benediction. And if you would like prayer, additional prayer this morning, there's folks up here who'd love to pray with you. Um, yeah, do, don't leave. If you need prayer this morning, don't head out before doing that. But children of God who are loved and forgiven through our Lord Jesus Christ, May you know the steadfast love of God and his character. 
And may you be honest about your own brokenness. And may you trust in the goodness of God who returns to you. The one who invites himself to come and live in your heart. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen. We do love you. Have a great week. And we'll see you next Sunday. Bless you.